Happy New Year. The year of our Lord 2023 starts today. This will be the best sermon you hear this year thus far. (laughs) Bar none. Bar none. Just a humble soul up here. Just a humble soul. Uh, We find ourselves in the, um, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you have uh, your Bibles, you can turn them to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. The text will also be printed up uh, on the screen. Give you a moment to turn there. Friends, this is God's word. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He or she who observes the wind will not sow. And they who regard the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let them rejoice in them all. But let them remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Happy New Year. (laughs) Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Uh, With you, nothing is vanity. With you, everything has meaning and purpose. And we have our lives in this new year, and we hold them up before you. We offer them to you, and we say that we need you. So would you be with us? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I want to start with a question. What is God asking you to risk on this year? Is there something that he's been calling you to pursue? A relationship to strengthen? An endeavor to start a proverbial trigger? To pull. This looks different at different stages in our life. For my dad in his mid 70s, in his electric scooter, that question might ring differently than to me in my early 40s, and that might be different for my nine year old son. But each of us, has life to spend in this room if we have breath in our lungs. 
And how is God asking you to spend your breath and your life for him? There's the question. It's a good one. If you could risk anything for God and you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do for him? It's a good thing to consider. Here's another thing to consider. If you imagined yourself in your living room and Christ himself came in to your living room and he saw you sitting there and he said to you, he looked at you in the eyes and he said, come and follow me. Where do you think he would lead you to? What do you imagine he'd be calling you to do? We all know what it's like to try and fail, to worry and plan and in our worry and planning to miss an opportunity. It's hard to risk when you've seen failure, when life has crushed some of your dreams, when we've run into so many roadblocks in the past. And as we start a new year, we could start from a number of different places, We could start from a place of fear, skepticism, apprehension, doubt. But where I want us to start is from the place of invitation and encounter. God inviting you again to spend the life that he's given you on the things that matter for eternity. I think Ecclesiastes is calling us to something like that. Let's just begin and walk through this text and see what wisdom might be there for us at the beginning of a new year. In the first verse, it just says, cast your bread upon the waters. And I don't think he's talking just about bread there. I think he's talking about life. Cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. It's a curious piece of advice. What does it mean? Well, there's been a number of proposed interpretations, but I would, I would say that the idea of throwing bread on the water only to find it again is a very unlikely circumstance. The only time you might throw bread upon the water is to feed the ducks or the birds at Holmes Lake or that, you know, that bridge at the Omaha Zoo where everybody throws their bread to whatever's down there and they they eat it up. And there's lots of expectations for what can happen to that bread. But you know the one thing that I think will never happen? That I'll get it back. And it's the very unlikely nature of it that makes such a statement so powerful. It's a reminder of what God is able to do when we are prepared to take what he has entrusted to us of life, of time, of talent, of resources, and to throw it on the the waters of life, the waters of time, the waters of circumstance. And the promise is that it will return to us some way, somehow, by God's design. 
And so the first piece of wisdom in our text is cast. In ordinary terms, what it's saying is you will never see a return on an investment if you never make an investment. It's the Bible's way of saying you only get out of life what you put into it. And there are risks in throwing your bread on the water. But it's better to fail in launching out, right? It's better to launch out and fail than to never launch out at all. That's what it's saying. It's saying cast, but it's also saying trust. Because these returns come to us after many days, it says. We don't see the unexpected and often surprising return are in investment immediately in many ways it's saying as you risk you need to take the long view sometimes it takes many years to understand why an endeavor happened why a door was opened why something had to fail i think about a young couple making a move for the job And they thought it was about the job. But only years later, it was the the tension that they felt in taking the job that made them talk about the stuff in their marriage that they would have never talked about beside it. And it's what saved their marriage, ultimately. It's the endeavor that fails. It's my wife getting laid off from Black & Decker many years ago. Only so that new doors could open where she could thrive more fully. It's the word that you preach in a sermon that you are pretty sure just bombed. And years later, somebody comes back and says, do you remember what you said? And I don't. But they do. It's living your life in accordance with God's word and losing much of your life in the process, carrying your cross only to find your life in new and surprising ways and getting to the new heavens and the new earth and finding treasure that never spoils or fades. Jesus counsels us to have the long view, doesn't he? To invest in things that don't spoil or fade or ruin but to invest in heavenly treasure. He gives us the parable of the talents, doesn't he? Where he gives the talents to his disciples and he says, spend, invest, and some do, and they're rewarded. And one lives defensively, hides what they have. And what does Jesus say? You don't want to do that. And that parable isn't about money, it's about life, the life that has, God has given you, however much of it you have left. It is meant to be spent, and it's saying trust that when you invest in the things that matter, it comes back to you eventually, in God's timing, cast Trust, 
And then the next piece of wisdom is scatter. Verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So it's saying, put yourself out there, but don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Spread around your hopes and your dreams. Don't let your identity, security, or hopes get all wrapped up in one thing being successful. One endeavor. One dream. One relationship. You know people who are like that. That life will not be good unless that one thing happens. So many pastors I know who have put all of their hope and investment. I have to be successful as a pastor. And it ruins their life and their heart. Or a relationship that you need to have. And it's taken away from you. And then where are you at? You don't know what's going to work out and what's going to bomb And a lot of it's out of your control. Free yourself from needing one thing to succeed is what it's saying. Put yourself out there and for the Christian, but know that your hope and your security is in Jesus. Not in the success or failure of one particular endeavor. So is there one endeavor that has too much power in your life? One relationship, one hope, one dream. It says give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So for those keeping score, here's the wisdom. Cast! Then trust, scatter. And then uh, the sage tells us what might keep us. What are the things that usually keep us from living that way? And he says, inevitability, uncertainty, and mystery. Verses three through five. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in that place where the tree falls, there it lies. He observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the spirit, as it comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The first thing that he mentions there in verse 3 is inevitabilities. He says, if the clouds are full of rain, it's going to rain. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And he says, this, this one's just obvious. He says, if a tree falls to the south or to the north, In the place where the tree falls, there it lies. Stop the presses, everybody. If the tree falls, that's where it's going to be. It's talking about things that are obvious, things that are inevitable. 
that when you start something new, hardship will eventually come. (laughs) Stop the presses. No, that's true. That will happen. Inevitably, it's going to rain in your life. Inevitably, there's going to be something that obstructs your path. You're going to start a Bible reading plan this year, and inevitably, you're going to hit Leviticus. It's like a tree just fell right there in your path. Things just got a lot harder. Inevitably, things are going to happen, and you're going to have to reevaluate. And the fear of what is inevitable marks many lives. Well, it looks like it's going to rain. Oh, a tree fell. There it is. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here and watch the rain and watch the logs and become a log myself. You know, that's how we live our lives. You know, there's a, there's a date on the calendar that's significant to you because you've lost somebody in your life. And for fear of anticipation of what it will feel like on that day, you don't live any of the days leading up to that hard day. Don't stay inside just because it's raining. Who knows how much work you can get done before the first drop falls. And while you're at it, bring an umbrella and prepare yourself for what's inevitable. I think about people who have sought membership at our church, even though they will inevitably leave in a year or two. And yet they thought the idea of making a covenantal commitment to a group of people was important enough that even though it's not permanent, even though they're not going to be here for 10 years, they still do it because it's right. Don't let what's inevitable paralyze you. Don't let what's uncertain paralyze you. And that's what he says in verse 4. He says, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you're waiting for ideal conditions to make the move, you will never move. So many opportunities lost because people are watching in analyzing paralysis by analysis. You've made your list so long about the, the pros and the cons, and that, but that's all you do is you make your pros and your cons list and nothing ever gets done. I had a friend in seminary who had a 65% rule. They said, once I'm 65% sure God's calling me to do something, I'm going to do it. Because you never get much more than 70 that was, his, that was his thought. Maybe you need a little more than 65, but you'll never have 100% if that's what you're waiting for, to do something for the Lord. I just don't know if it's going to come. So think about, in terms of your discipleship to Jesus, you're waiting to get involved in a small group or to start a spiritual practice or to begin a reading plan, but it's not the ideal time. I mean, YMCA basketball just started, and there's games on Sundays, and our schedule is such, blah, 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 blah. That's not how it works, to do the stuff that matters. You don't wait for the ideal conditions. 
Um, don't get caught in the maybes, the might have been. Grab what's in reach. There's wisdom here for us. If verse 3 is about inevitability, and if verse 4 is about uncertainty, then verse 5 is about mystery. It says, as you do not know the way that the Spirit comes to the bones in the wombs of a woman with child, so you don't know the work of a God who makes everything. So it begins with the mystery and miracle of life, and as much as we know about science, life is a miracle, and it is a mystery. But if human beings are mysterious, not just in the womb, I think y'all are mysterious outside of it. I think the person next to you is a very mysterious thing. Human beings are so strange and wonderful and hard to figure out, and they surprise you all the time. But if we are full of mystery, what about our God? The ways of our God. The way he works that we just will. There are things about his ways that we will never understand. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. And you can spend all your life on the deep mysteries. And we need to plumb them a little bit. But they should not paralyze us. So to sum up, he's, the, the wise sage says, cast, trust, scatter, and don't be hindered by inevitabilities, by uncertainties, or by life's unplumbable mysteries. And I just, I don't know. There's a lot we don't know in life. It's the children's message. And often, if you listen to a children's message at Grace Chapel, you don't really have to listen to the big kid message. You really could leave, and it'd probably be fine, because you're really hitting the same notes. We should do the children's message after the big kid message. Kelsey, make that note. I want you to consider what you don't know in life. Will you be happy? Will you die well? Will you ever be vindicated? Will anyone truly ever get you? Will you find the right medication? The one that doesn't leave you with all the, all the side effects? Think about all your relationships, all the unknowns that we live with every day, the, the boyfriend or girlfriend. Do they love you for you, or was it just the coffee they drank that day? The one who just broke up with you, that you thought you would marry, but they broke up with you. Will you have a future? Will there be another one? Will you ever find love again? Will your marriage grow Will you ever truly understand your spouse? Will you ever get to go on that vacation? Will your retirement hold up during a recession? Will you be able to fix the pipes that burst in your bathroom? Will your kids be happy in first grade? Was it the right school choice? When you give them the keys to the car, will they ever come home? Will they ever believe in Jesus again?
Will they be happy? Will disease find them? Will it find us? Will we find our way to glory? There is much that we don't know. But there are many things that we do. Things like, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Things like, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Things like, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Things like, Everyone who hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and so shall inherit eternal life. We know that the first will be last and the last will be first. We know that we will not be left as orphans. We know that we're asked to ask, seek, and knock, and the doors will be opened for us. And we know that he is making all things new. There is much that we don't know. But there are many things that we do. And what the the sage is saying is that we know enough to live. We know enough to cast. We know enough to trust. We know enough to scatter. We know enough to proceed. So, proceed. Verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand. For you don't know which one will prosper, this or that. Or whether both alike will be good. You never know. So you should be sowing all the time. In the morning and in the evening. In the good times. And in the bad. We all know what it's like to plant something in the garden. And you look, okay, this is a shade plant. That needs this much sun a day. And you plant it and it's in the perfect conditions. And it dies. And then you transplant the raggedy plant from your neighbor's yard into your yard in a random space. And it grows. You don't know. Even though labor does not always profit. And even though sometimes the righteous suffer. Sometimes the wicked prosper. Even though the battle doesn't always go to the strong or the righteous, even so, sow your seed. Sow it in the morning, sow it in the evening, because you never know. And, and what the, the preacher is calling us to is a buoyancy of spirit. A spirit that refuses to sink, like a buoy on the waves, that refuses to sink under life's uncertainties, and inevitabilities, and deep mysteries. It just keeps rising up like a buoy. And he's saying so. And he's not talking about farming. The seed is something new. It's, it's, it's a new life. It's a new plant. It's a new beginning. It's new hope. 
So what he's saying is, so go on a date, book an adventure, have the hard conversation, read the Bible, jump in the water, read books to your kids instead of looking at your phone, learn a new language, read the Bible in that language, adopt a kid. Give your heart away to everyone you meet over and over again. And as much as it's under your control, enjoy the life that you've been given. And that's what he says in verses 7 and 8. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let them rejoice in them all. But let them remember that the days of darkness will be many and all that comes is vanity. There is a balance to that last verse and a realism that I really love. We'll start at the end. It says, the days of darkness will be many. And isn't that true? There's a lot of darkness in the world. We shouldn't be under the presumption that if we live our lives wholeheartedly, that we will not hurt. More likely, we will hurt more. And the inevitabilities and the uncertainties and the mysteries of life, as cruel as it is, will happen. It says that life is vanity. And that where there is famously like breath or, or a smoke. I read one author this week that, that trans, kept translating that word flatulence. <laughs> that life is ironic and strange and so fragile. I, I, I know a, a young teenager who has liver cancer. And they found new cancer in his liver. And uh, I was thinking, what does this message mean for him? Life, what does it mean for him to, to risk and to live and to hope? I don't know. I think he would understand this line, though. That life is, the days of darkness will be many. But it's also saying, don't let the days of darkness blind us from the good things that are there as long as we have breath in our lungs. It says, life is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And you can just imagine the author pouring themselves a coffee as the sun rises. It's saying, don't mix, miss the fixed beauties of life. Alongside the darkness, there are always beautiful things to enjoy. The author is saying life is dark and it is light. It is both. It it has wonder. And for the wonder that is there, you need to recognize it and enjoy it in an enjoyment that is not superficial, but realistic. This isn't heaven and you are not perfect. But life is still there to be enjoyed. 
one of the lines of my favorite, a favorite hymn of mine says this, says, I thank thee, Lord, that all my joy is touched with pain, that shadows fall on brightest hours, that thorns remain, so that earth's bliss may be my guide and not my chain. What it's saying here is that there's wisdom in recognizing that this isn't heaven. We are not chained here. Our citizenship is somewhere else. And the anticipation of it all, when darkness strikes, we are reminded of our heavenly home. We enjoy this world. We don't worship it. We don't need everything to last forever. And it's saying rejoice in your days as many as you have them. Of all the people on the face of the earth, believers in Jesus should lead the world in the enjoyment of life and the experience of happiness. How are we doing at that? Here's another hymn. Why is that the case? The hymn writer says, heaven above is softer blue. He says, I see a deeper blue than other people. And the earth around is sweeter green. The greens pop for me, he's saying. And there is something exists in every hue, listen to this, that Christless eyes have never seen. And birds with gladder songs overflow and earth with deeper beauty shines because I know that I am his and he is mine. The truth of the gospel allows the sky, the earth, the fixed beauties that that are there to pop in a deeper hue. And I can be, I can have a grumpy face. People can look at me and say, are you mad at me? And I say, no, that's just my face. I just sometimes have a grumpy face. And I was thinking about it this way. I was saying, Ben, do you enjoy life? Tell your face about it. You know what I mean? Just tell your face about it so that you can tell the world about it. And I have the, I was, I was writing this, but actually I wrote this before Christmas. And on that day I was kind of dour and grumpy. And I was impatient with my, my, my kids. I was not present. I was stressed. I was stressed about what I did not know and what I could not control. I had just made an offer to a new pastor. I'd hoped that that pastor would accept the offer. And I was worried that they would not accept the offer. And it was ruining my Christmas. I was paralyzed by it. I'd done everything that I could do. And there was a a, a sister at church who knew that I might be wrestling. And knew that I was preaching on this text. And simply quoted it to me. Cast your bread upon the water. Enjoy life while you have it. You know what it did? It snapped me out of it. What business do I have worrying about what might be inevitable or the things that I can't control when there are kids to be played with, presents to be wrapped, a savior to be worshipped? And what will my kids think about my God if I don't try to smile a little more? 
Because the invisible God makes himself visible in our lives. And what will people think about the life, our life, life in this world, if they don't see the abundant life of Christ in us? It is and will be our testimony to a world that is leaving faith. Can we have abundant life, vibrant life, a buoyancy of spirit that bounces back through the uncertainties and the tragedies and the mysteries of life? Christ has accomplished so much for us. And he has done so, so that we might live wisely, yes, and with discernment, yes, but without fear. There's so much that we don't know. But with Christ, we know that one day we will rise. And that every effort will have been worth it. So to the young, Go for it. To the old, go for it. What will you risk for God? Not just for your life, but for the sake of what your neighbor sees in your life. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for the reminder on this first day of a new year that you are with us. Thanks for always talking straight to us. Thanks for recognizing that life often is tragic and dark. For recognizing that there are things that are inevitable and uncertain and deeply mysterious and frustrating to us. But thank you, Lord, for giving us hope that we don't need to be paralyzed by those things because of Christ, but we can cast, we can sow, we can scatter, and we can trust because of what's been accomplished for us. So help us to know in our particular age and stage how you might be calling us to do just that. And may we experience more of the abundant life you purchased for us in this next year. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.